We're reading Romans, the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 14. Listen as the Apostle Paul writes to the churches in Rome. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. But whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now let us pray. Gracious God, as the hymn has reminded us, we need your Holy Spirit in this place. We need your Holy Spirit in all the words of the sermon. Let everything that is human fall away. And we need your Holy Spirit opening our hearts and minds to what we may learn and know and do this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Theologian N.T. Wright has written this little story about what he imagines it must be like for the younger son of the prodigal son story about two years after he returns home. You remember the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of a father who had two sons. The younger of the sons, before his father has died, comes to his father and says, give me my inheritance. I want it now. And the father does it, even though it is a disgrace that his son is even asking. The younger son takes his inheritance and goes to a far off country. I think the latest translation of the text says that he engages in dissolute living. He has a good old time in the far country. And finally, he spends all of his inheritance and he is destitute far from home. And he has this idea. Maybe if I go home, even though I don't deserve it, maybe my father will allow me to be treated like one of his slaves. Maybe I'll at least have something to eat. And so the son sets off for the father's home. 
And the father is out one day and he sees off in the distance his younger son coming home. And the father runs to him and throws open his arms and says, My son that I thought was dead is now alive. Come, let me give you a cloak Come, I'll throw a party for you. And the son is welcomed back into the fold, much to the chagrin of the older brother, but we'll save that for another day. N.T. Wright imagines what happens to this younger brother about two years after he's brought home, and he imagines it goes something like this. The younger brother's been welcomed back into the family, but that means farm work. And he's out doing the hard work of farming, taking care of the animals. And the younger brother thinks, I wonder if I could take off again for just a few days. I wonder if I could just go off and have a good time. It's pretty boring here. I bet, I bet if I did and I came back, my father, he'd do the same thing again. He'd be happy to see me and he'd throw a party. I wonder, I wonder if I should just leave this all behind for a little while. N.T. Wright goes on to say that this, this idea that if we sin, we know we'll be forgiven. It's an idea that infests all of humanity. And it's the central idea of this passage from Romans. This is the question Paul asks. If we're going to be forgiven for sin, shouldn't we just go ahead and sin and do it more and more? It seems like an obvious question to which the answer is no. It cheapens the grace and forgiveness that is offered to one to sin unrepentantly over and over. But there's more to it than that. Paul says the answer is no because of this. Because we are baptized. Baptism is the thing that changes everything for Paul. And we're going to do a little Bible study here in order to understand exactly what Paul is saying in this wordy, wordy passage. Paul believes that our lives, we are so grateful for the gift of salvation that our lives should look like the life of Jesus Christ. Here's what he means. Jesus was baptized, yes? And then he went about the work of sharing the good news to all the people that he met. He loved people, he forgave them, he healed them. Then Jesus died, not because of his own sin, but because of the sin for all humanity. When Jesus died, he took on all of humanity's sins. And then because of God's goodness, he was resurrected to new life. So Paul says we should take part in that. And when we are baptized, we are baptized into Jesus' mission of sharing the love of God, of forgiving people, and of healing them. But he also believes that we die in our baptism. And what we die to is to sin. Jesus took on all of humanity's sin and died. We are to die to our own sin. That all of those many, many ways that we have the ability to turn from sin, we should do it. And so we don't sin over and over again because in our baptism, we have agreed to die to sin. And when we die, I don't know if you've heard me say this at a funeral, we say that our baptism is complete because when we die, we are resurrected to new life just like Jesus was. It is this 
project of us engaging in the life and work of Jesus Christ that makes Paul say, of course you won't sin over and over again unrepentantly. Of course you won't because you have agreed to die to sin. Do you remember the vows that were taken on your behalf in baptism? They're the same questions that are asked when a person is confirmed. And they're the same questions that are asked whenever someone joins the church. The questions are these. Trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn from sin and renounce evil and its power in the world? You have answered yes. Yes, I will turn from sin. Yes, I will turn from evil. The questions continue. Do you turn toward Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior? And do you promise to be Christ's faithful disciple, obeying his word and showing his love? In our baptisms, in our joining of the church, we have agreed to turn from sin where we are able to, and we turn toward God and all that is God's love. And so today the question is, where is the sin that infiltrates our lives? Maybe you come to the time of silent confession and some weeks you're like, I know what I had to confess. It's right on the forefront of my mind. Or maybe sometimes you come to the time of silent confession and you can't really think of anything in particular you've done. Sin is anything that opposes the will of God, which seems like a difficult thing to discern, doesn't it? But maybe a better way to think of it is that turning from sin means that everything we do is grounded in the love of Christ. Everything we do shows the love of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to turn from sin. That might change your confession time. Because then the question becomes, where have I not shown the love of Christ this week? And if you are like me, there might be a multitude of places. I thought of these baptismal vows many years ago, long before I was a minister. I was a new Christian. And I had a very good friend who was hurt by someone what we knew. And it was a terrible hurt. It was the worst kind of hurt. It was the kind of hurt that happened right at her most vulnerable time too. She had just suffered a loss. And I could think that the only reason this person hurt her was out of sheer meanness. I couldn't see a reason to it. And I was so angry on her behalf. Filled with rage, really. Paul tells us anger is one of the first warning signs about sin, but I ran right past it. I was just angry all the time. And I would spend time in my head and in my heart imagining what I wanted to say to this person. I had a long list of things I wanted to say. I'd be brushing my teeth in the morning and it'd go across my mind and I'd spend five minutes just tearing them down in my mind. I had what I thought of as a great planned o vengeance going too. I knew exactly what I was going to do to this person. And I never did it. But sin starts, friends, in our hearts and in our minds. And none of what I was engaging in showed the love of Jesus Christ. Not one thing. 
But I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about how mad I was, how wrong it was, how unfair it was. Until one day I opened up my Bible and I had a sticky note in there that had my baptismal vows in it. Took all the wind out of my sails. Because I had promised to show God's word and love to others. I had promised to be Christ's faithful disciple. I had promised to turn from sin. And so I didn't get to sit there and perform character assassination over and over in my mind or in my heart. Because that's where the sin starts. We have to be a people who show the love of Christ. And we have to show it in our minds and in our hearts too. Because that's where sin begins. We have to be a people who no longer can afford to sin within the confines of our heart and soul. Because we have been baptized and we have agreed to turn from that. And so what Paul is saying here in this passage from Romans is that you have made a promise If you were baptized as an infant, your parents made the promise for you. If you were confirmed or you joined a church later, you made the promise yourself to turn from the ways of sin and to be Christ's faithful disciple, obeying his word and showing his love. We have to be a community, a church community, who have hearts and minds that show the love of God. So that our actions don't then show the way of sin. The next time you come to your prayer of confession. The silent time we have in worship. Or the silent time you have in your daily life. Ask yourself. Have I shown the love of God. In thought, word and deed. Because that's how you turn from sin. And that's how we grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Here's the best news friends. Grace abounds and the Holy Spirit is with us. Paul promises that just as the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit will be with us now, guiding us, helping us to change our hearts and minds and preventing us from sinning indeed. Grace abounds, the Holy Spirit is with us, but you are to use your will however you can to turn from the ways of sin and renounce evil in the world. May we become a church whose hearts and minds even show the love of God. Amen.